So we've talked about this before. We know that there are something like 43,000 Christian denominations right around the world. People who self-identify as followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've always wondered about that. If we follow one Lord, how in the world could there be 43,000 ways to do it? Now, I don't know the answer to that, but it is something to ponder. And maybe what I've come to is to realize that maybe the answer somewhere lies around about how private and territorial our faith walks are. Think about that. How private and territorial we are about our bond with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now, I'm no different. I'm not up here saying that I am. I've been a member myself of three different of those 43,000 denominations before I found Holy Nativity Episcopal Church up in Plano. And frankly, I wouldn't feel comfortable being in any other church other than the Episcopal Church. With all of its craziness, with all of its ridiculousness, I chose this church as an adult. I'm in. I'm in deep. I'm a priest for crying out loud. <laughs> so I do love it. All of its joys and sometimes its heartbreaks. It's my church and I've chosen it. And so it's in that background that I began to wonder about how John the Baptist might come across to those 43,000 denominations, Christians in general. I caught myself the other day thinking that John the Baptist was the first of those who were to clear the way for God by proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And then I got to thinking some more about that, and I'm thinking, no, that's, that's not right at all. That's not right at all. It's John the Baptist, actually, who is the last of the old prophets, really an Old Testament prophet, raising Cain about the renewal of Israel by God Almighty. Now, John the Baptist was mostly concerned with the whole of God's people. He wouldn't have been particularly interested in our 43,000 flavors. He was about Jesus' mission, not about the Baskin-Robbins of our own personal beliefs about God. And so John the Baptist's first question that we have in this particular gospel reading was sharp and it was pointed. And frankly, we, and certainly I, and I even read it as if it was from a man who hadn't had a shower in more than a few days and who liked to eat bugs for breakfast. But the real gist of the question is about how this group of leaders who had come to see this preacher, John the Baptist, they came through, they came through a, a harsh desert environment to find John the Baptist and to hear him talk about salvation. Now John asked these leaders, who warned you to flee? And when I read that, I hear it and I speak it as kind of a sneer. But what happens if John is just doing what teachers have always done through the eons, trying to gauge the depths of the students in front of them? 
Now, John thought that the chief priests in Jerusalem knew virtually nothing about God, despite the warnings from all of the prophets previously. And so here was this whole crop of new people he didn't know, and they were standing in front of him. And so John would rightly wonder, who are these people and where have you been? What did they, what did they believe? And so, of course, John the Baptist wanted to know who had warned them about what was to come. John was more about getting right with God. More so, much more so than arguing with the religious leaders of Israel. John the Baptist believed that the Messiah was going to lay low the systems of corruption that had degraded humanity. See, John was lifting up this idea of a new Jerusalem that would be built into a godly kingdom where peace and forgiveness were for all people, all people. And is it any wonder why the powerful of Jesus' day reacted so vehemently, so violently against the Lord? In the kingdom of God, look, there is no temple. And so the whole mechanism of animal sacrifice and the money, the huge amounts of money that it generated would be sent to the ash heap. Huge numbers of people making money off that system. Now, think about that. Do you think those people are just going to let something like that slide? The kingdom of God has no need for an emperor. The Roman Empire was possibly, possibly, the most abhorrent mechanism of brutality ever envisioned. No way does that go down without a fight. It gets deeper. The kingdom of God is held together by seeing God in the other person and then loving that person even if they are unlovable. No need for laws or politics in a place like the kingdom of God. Now, we are a people of order, law and order. I am a person of law and order. That's how our families function. That's how our economies function. But can you imagine that system being replaced quietly? These ways of keeping order in our society and control through coercion and even intimidation are all challenged by the kingdom. All believers proclaim this. Episcopalians talk about this in our baptismal rituals. And so John the Baptist answered the question, what shall we then do? And he gave a very specific answer about how to build the kingdom, how to make it easier to see Christ in others, how to help tear down what degrades us and then build up that which lifts us. It's very simple. Whoever has two coats, let that person share with the one who has none. And the same with food. Big things begin in very, very simple ways. 
Now, I get that it seems unimaginable that just a few people can make a meaningful dent. A few people just in this chapel or in this church. Unimaginable that just a few people can make a meaningful dent in hunger or homelessness or domestic abuse. And yet over and over again, we see these little glimpses on the radio, in the newspapers, even in our televisions, little glimpses of just regular, ordinary, everyday people throwing themselves into helping these issues. Friends, we are neither small nor powerless. Please take home your booklet and read through the lessons for today. We are neither small nor helpless nor powerless because of the Holy Spirit given to each one of us. This is the one who powers us through the darkness into hope, who helps us be the hands and feet of our Lord Jesus in this world. And with so much, friends, so much given to us, let us remember that hope is everywhere. Hope is everywhere and can be found in the most unlikely of places. Even with a child born in a manger, hope is a very powerful thing. All of us, it seems, have lived long enough to be in dark places. And yet it is that hope that allows us to push through, that hope that resides in us from the power of the divine given each one of us through baptism. And so no matter what's going on these days with you, no matter what's going on in your family, your work, the regular ups and downs of everyday life, draw strength from the power of hope that resides in you by virtue of having the Holy Spirit in you. Hope is a powerful thing. And let us be providers of hope to a world in such need.